Welcome everyone to another edition of Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast where we seek to provide you the tools to preserve and promote college radio. I'm Shane Garcia, and I am once again joined by the one and only Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin. How you doing today, Doc? I'm doing very well, Shane. Uh, we uh, we need some rain, and we're getting it today because uh, some of the stuff was starting to uh, wilt a little bit. So I'm glad we're doing this on a rainy day. We're recording this episode on Monday, May 24th, and the previous day, the 23rd, it was a very warm, very hot Sunday, and the temperatures dropped about 25 degrees compared to what it was yesterday, and it feels a whole heck of a lot different, and a Probably a whole heck of a lot better for some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was actually yesterday sweating when I was outside. I was couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. So we'll, we'll uh, we're back to a little more spring-like weather, not summer. And speaking of getting back, we are back at the grind here this week because on the last episode of Scholastic Transmission, I had the chance to sit down one-on-one with your sweetie, Mama Rock, and talk about her time in college radio. Yes, you did. And, and, and she is the one that ultimately runs the show. As she pointed out to you in the interview, she can shut me off the air at any moment if I misbehave because she has control of the board. She has the ultimate power. I'm waiting for that to happen when I'm interviewing you, Doc. (laughs) You can do it, too. You can shut me down. That is true. I do have that power, but nobody's power surpasses Mama Rock's power. Nope. She's the ultimate. She's She's the strong one in the family. She keeps us together. So on today's episode, Doc and I felt like this was an integral topic to talk about. It's one that we really haven't dove into yet, and it's one that is really needed. It's it's one that is very necessary to talk about. And Doc, I think you could do a little bit more to describe the necessity of talking about this topic that we'll be diving into today. Yeah, we're talking about having a chief chief engineer, which the FCC requires. You can't go on the air unless you have one, a licensed engineer. In our case, we're very fortunate that my entire time as advisor, I basically had the same engineer with me, Nelson Kepperling, who did a very valuable job of not only keeping us on the air, but checking out all the rules, the regulations. And he even went so far as to build some of the uh, wooden equipment that housed our CDs and our, our boards. So we, were, we not only had an engineer, we had a carpenter who made stuff for us, too. We were blessed. Nelson is one of those people that, really, you may not know about if you're part of the station. I mean, that's, it's kind of bad to say, because I think it's important for the station to have a relationship with their engineer and the students to know who their engineer is. But at the same time, it's a blessing, because Nelson was so good that he can just sneak in there and get everything done before anybody even comes into the station. He can just get in there and get it done right away, and he can do a damn good job at it. Yeah, he did. He actually had, we set aside, I think, an hour, a couple hours every Monday morning, which was just Nelson time. Nobody could be on the air. When Nelson would go over and repair anything that that needed to be done, whether it was a turntable or a needle needed to be replaced or anything. I mean, and we always uh, called upon him. And the other good thing about him, he lived close by. So technically he was on 24 hour call because of his passion. He would come down, like if we broke down at a a two o'clock on a Monday afternoon, he'd be there within an hour. Whereas if you had to outsource this job to some 
heaven knows where that person would have would have come in. So we were very blessed at WIXQW, MSR, I think a little bit in the early days with having such a good engineer. So how did you get to know Nelson and how did you bring him into Millersville University's radio station? Well, if you remember from one of our earlier ones, I dealt originally with a man named Wayne Campbell. And Wayne was the licensed engineer who worked not only for us, but for a variety of other radio stations. And he was sort of going to go into independent business. And I was a little worried as a new advisor, what was I going to do? But luckily, he knew Nelson carefully. I mean, it's sort of like a network, I guess, of these engineering types out there. And he brought Nelson in very early in my, uh, my advisorship. And then the relationship just developed from there. I would say he was there uh, in my second year as advisor. So, and he still is. He still is the engineer. So he's actually outlived me. If that's possible. Still, that just shows his dedication to the station. And it just shows that you have a good engineer in the process. The fact that he keeps on coming back year after year, decade after decade to work away at the radio station. Yep. And he also works for FNM and he also works for the Spanish station locally. So he has done a lot beyond just WIXQ. He is one of the most dedicated individuals I've ever met in my life. How quickly did you pick that up, Doc? Ah. Uh, when we first started, I, he, Nelson actually, he and his wife had a singing group, gospel music. And I thought, oh, we're going to go religious, I guess. <laughs> no, no, I didn't really think that. But, but I, I just sort of picked up that this guy was really dedicated to whatever he believed in. And he believed in gospel music, and he believed in a radio. He loved radio. And so, I mean, it, it, it's just this passion that, that is in some people, like you. You, you love radio. I love radio. Nelson loved radio. We know it. I don't know why or how. Do you know what training Nelson had before he became the engineer of WIXQ? Well, I know he had to pass a test with the FCC to get a, like a third class, some kind of class license. So he passed the test. He also was in electronics. He had his own TV store. He sold uh, uh, televisions and he repaired televisions. So he was basically uh, in the field of electronics and also passed the license uh, that is required to become a, uh, an engineer for a radio station. So I don't know where he picked that up. I mean, he, I don't know if he went to a tech school or wherever he was, but he was around electronics all his life. Uh, that I did not even bought a couple of televisions off. <laughs> that has me grinning and grinning and laughing and smiling now. Is <laughs> you saying that you bought TVs off of him? But hey, if he's if he's a quality guy and he, if he's putting quality work in for you, you might as well repay him back and buy some quality TVs off of him. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I, it was when my house burned down and he gave me a good price. So, I mean, but I, I did pay cash for the two TVs uh, that, he, that replaced the two TVs that burnt down in my house. And that's good networking. It's always about networking, especially when it comes to the radio business. But going back there a little bit, Doc, you had mentioned the FCC when you had talked about the training that WIXQ's engineer Nelson Kepperling had undergone. This is going to sound fairly obvious, but I think it's pretty darn important that the engineer is in tune with what the FCC requires, because if they are not, then that could cost your station. Oh, yeah, because they got to be aware of like making sure we keep a uh, public records file. Make sure that in that file is the appropriate information about us meeting these six uh, community needs and how we meet those needs. 
Uh, Nelson was always very good about pointing out, hey, you haven't put your needs into the community bot file uh, that should be on call if the FCC comes. And he was always checking in with the FCC to see if there are any new rules like emergency broadcast test signals, updates, that kind of stuff. And uh, not only did he wire the station, uh, he built the station, literally. He built the cabinets for the CDs and he built the uh, places where the boards sit. He built the whole station, which was really not a requirement of an engineer. It's just a skill he brought. We were blessed. I'm sure that saved the station a lot of money, didn't it, Doc? It did save us tons of money. It did save us tons of money. We also were saved tons of money because we stood firm when they wanted to move the, the, with the SMAC expansion, two SMAC expansions. The, the studios, was they were trying to move it because everybody thought you pick that up and you just move it. Well, you can't do that. You just can't move the equipment. You've got to move the antenna, line things up and all that. And we, Nelson and I, and, and with the help from Bob Sabinski, refused to move, even though we took a lot of heat from not moving because nobody knew that you just don't move the equipment and the antenna. You've got to check with the FCC and you've got to do these readings. I don't know what they are. And you have to put distances and all that. And in, in one case, it would have cost us six, it did cost us $6,000 to move from Ganser Library, which nobody told us was happening until I found out about it up to what was Jefferson. So that shows you what it, it costs money to move a whole station and equipment and antenna, let alone moving the, uh, the board and hiring movers to do that. It's, it's a very expensive deal. And you had told me, Doc, that Nelson had to check in with the FCC about different locations and different spots before officially settling on a spot. Yes, we, we originally, uh, when we the first move, uh, when the Ganser Library was being taken and repaired, we had to move the antenna, and uh, we checked in with a, a building called Burroughs Hall, which was higher, until uh, I got wind of the fact that that was going to be demolished before Ganser was finished. So then we had to quickly back up and go up, and we found Jefferson, which Nelson claims is just about the same height as, as the library was. I, I sometimes don't see it, but it is up on a hill. So a signal was moved to Jefferson Hall, uh, and that cost us $6,000. That cost that move cost us $6,000. Now, did you escrow money in advance for that move, Doc? No, we did not. That's one of the few times when I had to really hustle and uh, find money from various areas to make that move. And luckily, we, we were able to stall uh, the buying of some equipment that was fairly expensive. I think it might have been a slider board and a couple of things that we could get by with what we had. Uh, there was something called an exciter, which I have no idea what that was, that we used the old one, and, and there was a transmitter or something like that, that we managed to limp. As Nelson said, we limped without it. We just put that money towards the, uh, the uh, move of the antenna. Now, staying on the topic of the FCC, you had told me a time that Nelson really saved the radio station because... At the time, the FCC license for the radio station was due to expire. And without your FCC license, you're not going to be able to go on the air. But Nelson stepped in and saved the day for the radio station. Yes, he did. Uh, I mean, there's many stories uh, as to what happened. But the bottom line was somebody threw out the license renewal. We, we uh, don't know exactly who, but we know when it happened. 
And we knew that every, I think it was seven or years, you have to get a license renewal. We weren't getting anything. And Nelson and I kept looking in the mail. Nelson kept, we finally found out when we called Washington, they hadn't gotten anything from us. They had sent it to us. So I quickly sent Nelson down. He picked up a license. He did all the work, which is not easy. He filled it out, got it there, and lo and behold, we survived. Uh, remember, I think it was it was like uh, it was due in September, and he went down there in July and August, and had to do all the calculations. Heaven knows what would have happened if we didn't submit out. Well, I know what Nelson told me would have happened. We would have lost our license. We wouldn't have filed for a license. Somebody else would have got it. So, luckily, he uh, he was willing to do that. And we, we survived that scare. Do you think if you would have had somebody else in that position that things would be very, very different, Doc? Uh, let's just say that I had a tremendously close working relationship with Nelson. We were free to call each other back and forth. We both lived in Millersville. And I don't know if I would have had that same relationship with another one I might have. I mean, I, I am a relationship type leader person, so I would have tried to develop it. But it was like Nelson and I were a team that we, we just did it. Uh, probably not as would have been a lot more difficult without Nelson. Regardless of who your engineer is going to be, I think it is very necessary that whoever it is, whether or not it is the station advisor or anybody within the station, more so as I would say probably somebody on the executive council of your station, to have a close relationship with the engineer. And it makes me think of another story that you had told me, Doc, about the one time how out of nowhere you didn't have any signal. There was no signal going out throughout Millersville. I'll never forget this. It was a Monday morning, and I always, as advisor, checked in every day to see if we were on the air. I mean, Mama used to get a little bit upset. I, we'd be driving somewhere, and I'd just check to see if the radio station was functioning. So I got up this one Monday and dead, nothing. I said, what's going on? And, and Nelson, of course, came right over, went, went up to the top of Ganza Library, and lo and behold, someone had taken the antenna. Now, why anybody would do this, I, we were scratching our head, and, and then I don't know how it led. We got led to the campus maintenance people, and, and we called them, and they said, oh, yeah, they got the antenna down in the uh, garage. I said, well, what's it doing there? And the guy who was doing some work with the antenna. I have no idea to this day why he decided to take it out of there. He was cleaning up some stuff up there and he took the antenna with him. And, and so we had, a, <laughs> luckily he, I guess, felt guilty or something, gave it immediately to us. Nelson ran it back up, got it all calibrated and we were back on within four or five hours. But there was a, there was a Monday morning, we were off for four or five hours with a lost antenna, which, uh, was a mystery to all of us. So that was another scare that we survived. I cannot imagine the panic that you must have been in since somebody just took the thing off. Yeah. I mean, I mean Nelson's first reaction was, well, I'll go check the antenna. And then he came back and told me, we have no antenna. <laughs> that explains why we're not on the air. And, and so that, that, was, that was a scary moment. When we had it, we also had one other funny incident that that uh, I may as well mention here. That Andrew Wheeler, uh, who was a former station manager, solved for us. We were not getting the signal. We had gone wireless, and the antenna was on the roof of the the Student Memorial Center, shooting up to Ganser, and it was over the summer. 
when we were off the air and we came back, no signal. And, and Nelson said, everything calibrated works. And, and I'll never forget Andrew Wheeler saying, an act of nature, maybe. I said, you know, and we went out and lo and behold, the tree that is between the Ganza Library and the SMAC, the Stu Memorial Center Warehouse, had grown over the summer. And it was blocking the, the wireless signal. So that was easily solved. Nelson just moved the antenna a little bit over on the roof because you could do that. And we were back on the air. But that was another interesting thing that can happen. Nature can interfere with us. And there's another funny nature story, Doc, that maybe you'd be willing to share about what might happen during wintertime when there are some snowstorms that come your way. Well, it isn't so much snow as it's ice. There there are a couple uh, round objects, I guess we'd call them balls, called radomes or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But they could freeze. And, And if they froze, a signal would go off the air. We always dreaded ice storms, so Nelson finally got some piece of equipment that would work so that the, the radome balls would not not uh, freeze and that we could still stay on the air. But there were a couple times when we had to go off the air during an ice storm because it would, I guess, overheat the uh, transmitter or something. I am not electrical at all, so I have no idea. But Nelson said, we can't do that. We, we gotta, that was, things will blow. Thank goodness you had a knowledgeable engineer that was willing to understand the situation and knew what was going to happen so he could come to you and let you know of the situation and then make the call for you so that way you don't have a big old expensive bill then in the days and the weeks to come. Yep. And 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 Nelson was, was also very good at repairing equipment. I forgot to mention that earlier. I mean, he could take some stuff and rather than buying a new thing, repair it. And so that was very how valuable he was. He was very valuable in that respect, too. And that makes me think of all, I, I don't know if we covered this so far, but I know we've talked about this a lot, but you had mentioned earlier about how he built some of the station. And in our station, we have a ton of CD cabinets. There's probably got to be over a dozen in there, just filled with different CDs that the station has acquired throughout the years from promoters, or even if somebody would buy CDs and bring them into the station. There's a ton in there, but you had told me, Doc, that Nelson built them all. Yep, and we checked at what it would cost into actually purchasing them, and he, he was like half the price of doing that. One other funny final thing happened. I, I've never mentioned, I don't think, the time the CD cabinet fell over. You never heard that one? I'm laughing about it because I know, I know this story, but for other people, Doc, if you want to tell the story, go right ahead. There was one day... Uh, I got a frantic phone call from a DJ that the, the one of the file cabinets, which attached to the wall, had fallen over. And I walked into the station. Nelson came with me because I said, your cabinets are, are down. I mean, I saw it and brought call in. And he had actually attached it to the back. And to this day, we do not know why that thing fell over. I attribute it to the... the uh, the Helen Ganser or some ghost had come and tipped it over, but we had to push it back up, put the CDs back in, and, as, and, and I'm a physics major at one point in my life, and there's no way from a point of view of like a seesaw, that thing could have fallen over. And Nelson and I to this day still think 
it was either a, what do you call it, uh, an alien experience or some kind of voodoo or something happened there, or some kid, man, but even that, it was too heavy. We, to this day, do not know. Did you do a Jane Garcia? Did you send vibes to somebody? Yeah, all the years before I even made my way into the station, I, I just sent some sort of vibes just connecting with the walls of the station, and it just happened to tumble over. Yeah, I have no idea. If, if, if anybody solves that one, I'll be anxious to know. That's, a, that's another thing that I, I just have no idea what happened. I, I think we have nailed throughout this episode, Doc, the importance of having a knowledgeable, dedicated engineer for your college radio station because without one, you might not be in the greatest position as a radio station. Yeah, let's say you wouldn't be on the air. I mean, if you don't have one, you're not on the air. That's as simple as that. The engineers are truly the most unsung heroes of the college radio station because anyone can really get on the air and do a radio show. Any student can get in there and do something. And any student can have a position on the station and help it grow in the future. But it takes a truly special person to get in there behind the scenes and do all of the wiring, all of the electronics, all of the transmitting, the true transmitting, even all of the repairs that it takes to run a college radio station. And that is the job and the role of the engineer. And I can only hope that all the college radio stations out there have a truly dedicated engineer like WIXQ and WFNM does in Nelson Kepperling. Yep. I cannot stress that enough. We are blessed. We are very fortunate. Now, I have to say, Doc, before we go today, you had talked about there at the end about how this student came in and may or may not have climbed on the top of a CD cabinet and tipped the whole thing over with everything going all over the place. And while that that's not necessarily a problem between there, there wasn't necessarily a problem between the, the student and the cabinet, there are a lot of conflicts that do go on within the radio station. And we can't have a podcast about college radio without discussing student conflict. And I think this is a great transition point for the next episode to talk a little bit about the conflicts that one can expect, whether or not you're an advisor or a student or even the community, about what can come out of a college radio station. Yeah, and I'm ready to do it. I'm not going to do it today, but I got it. I, I had to develop a bunch of strategies to resolve a bunch of, uh, what should I say, ego issues and some problems that can interfere with the functioning because it is a student-run radio station and, and they're learning leadership skills. And sometimes that learning is, uh, has, is a tough process for them. And sometimes the interpersonal relationships can get a little out of hand. And Doc, from what you've told me, you have successfully been able to manage those throughout the years when you were the advisor, but sometimes they became a little bit too much for you. And in some cases you told people, hey, just let me finish my egg and olive sandwich first before we get into this. Yeah, that is a classic, but let's save that one. I just want to eat my sandwich and I'll deal with you guys later. Well, hey, we'll eat our egg and olive sandwiches for now, and we'll come back next week for an episode based around student conflict at the college radio station. You can stay up to date with Scholastic Transmission by following us all across social media at College Radio Pod to get your social media fix. And also, as always, be sure to share the podcast with your friends, 
with your family, and anybody that you know that truly loves college radio. Because we want to get out there and we want to help you and your college station or anybody that really loves college radio have an understanding on what they can do to keep this thing thriving, keep this thing going, to preserve and promote it not only today, but in the years to come. But before we go today, Doc, is there anything else that you want to say today about this episode and the importance of having a knowledgeable engineer? No, I'm looking forward to you bringing my egg and olive sandwich next time when we discuss the conflict. I'm really anxious. This is one that I'm going to have a little fun with. I'm not the biggest egg and olive fan, but if there's anything that I can do to help get more stories from you, Doc, I'm going to make sure I can do it. So you best believe I'll be making you all the egg and olive sandwiches. <laughs> All right. No problem. I love my egg and olive. To this day, mama will tell you, egg and olive. So until next week, for Dr. Ralph Doc Rock Antonin, I'm Shane Garcia. Thanks for listening to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast. Class is dismissed.